Hello, friends all over the world. This is another ATC Office Hours. I'm here with Bjarni Hannesson from Moss Golf Club in Iceland and Jason Haynes from Cabot Cape Breton in Canada. Welcome, Bjarni and Jason. Thanks for having Thanks for us. us. And so we are kind of a turf math crew. We have had a couple of episodes where we've talked about turf math. And I wanted to talk about turf math, measuring units a little bit. I, I think we'll get to that. But I also wanted to talk about the growth ratio, which is a post... Well, uh, we're going to talk a lot about growth ratio because it's, it's something that's not intuitive at first. Um, it's something that Jason came up with, I think, in 2018. And he started off calling it the Turfgrass Speedo. Is that... Is that a correct uh, memory? Yeah, yeah. It was originally the Speedo, and that was just because the way I visualized it was like a little, you know, Speedo um, uh, chart. Um, and I had originally um, put it together because I kept getting questions about, uh, and I'm, I mean, we still get questions about how fast should we grow the grass. And so this was a way to uh, figure out how fast the grass should grow relatively. And so, so you came up with that in 2018 and I was like, um, we're measuring the clipping volume already, Jason. I don't see how adding, uh, a ratio to it with the growth potential really adds anything meaningful. And I thought you're like getting a little bit too far into spreadsheet, uh, land, <laughs> right? So that's, that's my initial impression in 2018, but I, I, I'm like, Jason finds it really useful. I respect his assessment. So I think he, you know, maybe there's something to it, but I didn't get it. But I did when I was doing back then, I, back then I was into, uh, I was calling it the Genki level, which was the idea of how much are we pushing the grass? Are we over fertilizing the grass for a certain, uh, time of year? Like if you put a lot of fertilizer in January when there's snow on the ground, that's that's pushing the grass too much. Uh, so you'd have a high Genki level. Or if you have a really high growth potential, like perfect weather in May, and you put no fertilizer whatsoever, that's kind of starving the grass. So that would be what I would call a low Genki level. So in 2019, I was all into that kind of thinking, and I was just trying to show fertilizer amount versus the predicted fertilizer amount based on, on the growth potential. And you added in this clipping volume bit that I, I really didn't understand. And then you kept doing it. And then you got another post and you said something like, uh, this is a really useful tool. And you, you, so you use it 2018, 2019, and it was working really good. Yeah. And I mean, Ultimately, like the Genki or things like growing degree days, these are just kind of models, but they don't actually take what, what you're trying to manage, which is the growth rate of the grass into account. So the growth ratio has the actual amount of grass that you're growing uh, as part of uh, the equation. So it's not like a, I mean, it's kind of a theoretical number, but it's, it, it has real numbers and that's as a turf manager what we're trying to measure is or to manage is growth so if you're not including growth in your calculations then um it, it's uh, kind of 
you know, it, it's really not uh, really getting the big picture. Okay. So, so we are working through what the growth ratio is and how it can be used because um, I, I guess it, at some point it clicked to me. And so all of a sudden it made sense. And I started doing um, or, or making more use of it. I started uh, doing some more blog posts about it. And in, I think, the, the late 2022, early 2023, I did a couple blog posts about it. And one of those, the growth ratio equation, has now made it onto the top 12 posts from the past two years on the ATC website in terms of what people are uh, reading. And if I look at what people search for on the ATC website or check the Google search records for uh, hits that go to the ATC website, there's quite a few searches about this growth ratio, the turf grass growth ratio. And so I thought, let's sit down and let's talk for a long time about this and let's uh, try to explain why it's useful and, and how it works because it doesn't actually make sense to people at first. It didn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people. I'll tell one quick story. Uh, Chris Tritabaugh from Hazeltine, he and I talked about it at Master's Week in 2023. We talked about it quite a bit. Um, and I thought, I was under the... I was under the impression that as soon as the grass started growing, he was going to start making nitrogen fertilizer adjustments at the start of the season in 2023 based on growth ratio, based on, on us spending hours together talking about it. And yet it turned out that he didn't understand it to the detail that he thought he did or that I thought he did. And it wasn't until August that he realized he actually wasn't really using the growth ratio. And then it kicked in and he, he used it for the last couple months of the season. And he said, wow, this is really good. Um, so it, it's something that I, I understand there's like uh, two or five people in the world that are using this. If you're using growth ratio, if, if you're like using growth ratio and you know you're using growth ratio, uh, send us a message in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, but as far as I know, it's like Jason and Chris Tritabaugh are using it. And yet I find it so useful that I want to write about it. I want other people to try it. If I was a golf course superintendent, I'd be doing it. I just put a post on Pace Turf, uh, uh, an update on Pace Turf about six different ways to figure out how much nitrogen to apply and said that the one that I would choose is using the growth ratio. So I want to explain to people and let them ask questions of us about it if they want to about what this is and how it works and how you can get over that hurdle from having it sound like nonsense to having it be intuitive and be like wow that's so simple <laughs> well we can give it a try but firstly i would just like to say these masters conversations would be a lot more uh, about growth ratio would be a lot more informative if I was there in person. So if anybody is watching that can make that happen, I'm interested. Uh, in see, what, growth see what you did there. That was good. The masters. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so, you know, kind of, kind of what I, uh, you know, again, it goes back to people were always kind of wondering how fast should you grow the grass. Um, and I had kind of noticed that, you know, the amount that you should grow the grass depends on the time of the year. You know, what, how much you should grow in the spring 
uh, is different than what you should grow in the summer, what you should grow in the fall. And there's a lot of things that go into growth rate. You know, so nitrogen is one of them, temperature is another, um, you know, mineralization from the soil, all that kind of stuff. Um, so trying to uh, account for all those things with all these various models just didn't really, it, it seemed too complicated for me. Ultimately, I just, I don't really care where the growth is coming from. I just want to have the right amount um, based on the time of year. And for the most part, it was um, temperature was the limiting factor. So, because um, we could control things like water and, and nitrogen. So trying to figure out what the right amount is. And so we have this growth potential formula. It's not perfect, especially um, we've discussed before in, in the spring at cold temperatures, but um, for the most part, the growth potential uses the weather, the temperature, and it gives you a percentage um, from zero to, to one or 100%. Um, so we could just apply a amount of gro growth to that percent. And I had just for, I mean, I've been measuring clippings, I think since 2012, um, I kind of had a good idea and I was growing POA at the time of what is the most grass you would ever want to cut in a single day. And that's about 20 milliliters per square meter. Um, that seemed like a reasonable maximum amount. Um, now that's just for normal growth. That's not for like recovery or anything else, but that's just a normal amount. So I use that number, the 20, you multiply that by the growth potential for the day. So if the growth potential is hundred percent, then your um, standard amount of growth would be 20 milliliters. If it's 50%, it would be 10 milliliters. Uh, and if it's 1%, it's like 0.2 milliliters. So that, kind of gives you a target. Now you need to compare your actual amount to that uh, ratio. So let's say today the growth potential, uh, it's a perfect 20 degrees out, it's 100%. And the model says we should be growing 20 milliliters of grass per square meter. Um, but we go out and we cut 10. That means our ratio is 0.5. So we're growing half as much as the model suggests. Now, the model isn't a target. It's just something to compare against. So we are uh, different grasses, uh, have different, uh, I, I would guess, maintenance levels, different recovery levels, and maybe even a different like turn, tournament condition level. Um, so I found when I was growing POA that if I was uh, below 85% of that standard amount, I had issues with traffic and disease like anthracnose. Um, but if I was able to keep my growth rate at 85% of that model, I uh, I was able to limit the, eliminate those uh, issues. So, I mean, um, and then, I mean, other times, like, you know, you have winter uh, damage and you're coming out of spring uh, and you're doing whatever you can to grow the grass, but it's still not growing that much. But relatively to the weather, you might be at 500%. So if the model says you should be growing one mil and you're going, you're getting five mils per day, that you're, you're outperforming that weather by 500%. So it's another tool to kind of just let you know that, you know, the grass is growing pretty quick uh, if you wanted it to. So it's not always just about hitting a target. Sometimes it's, we need recovery. So we need to grow at a higher rate and, uh, or tournament, we need to grow it at a lower rate. And it just, 
kind of gives you just a target to to uh, to manage your your grass, whether it's PGRs or or nitrogen rates. One point that's really good for us uh, as turf grass managers is that the fact that often when you're looking out the window and you just you know this happens a lot to Iceland greenkeepers, you're looking at the grass, it doesn't seem to grow that much. This is a very good tool to say, yeah, actually you are considering how cold it is. You're doing okay. Just breathe, you know, just wait for, you know, the temperatures to pick up. Well, they never pick up here, but it gets slightly better. Uh, so it's, it's good for that. It's good for that. Just to make you sleep a little bit better overnight. And, and, and it's very good for that. But one of many things that's good for him, So, yeah. Yeah, Well, right. speaking of windows... Speaking of windows, I'm looking out my window right now and there's snow up to about here. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's a lot still. of snow that you're experiencing there. Uh is that is that uh all snowfall or mostly drift? Uh, mostly drift. We we had three feet fall in about or about a meter fall in uh two days with you know seventy kilometer hour winds. So it's uh we had twenty foot or what five six meter drifts all over the place <laughs> we're still digging out a week later wow yeah <laughs> i saw yeah you posted those pictures on the discord of uh of the tractors buried in snow drifts <laughs> it's like wow that's that's impressive good thing you knew where they those were or you wouldn't find them that's yeah that's why we were digging them out is so that we didn't find them with a snowplow or a snowblower <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, yeah. So I, what I didn't understand at first and, and it, now it seems to me that what the, the growth ratio is, it's the actual clipping volume divided by the expected clipping volume is, would you agree with that as a definition? Yeah. And, and, uh, that, I mean, as a technical way, yeah, that's what it is. And, um, uh, and then we, we use running averages or uh, to, to kind of smooth the data out. Yeah, or, or you that. sum it because you don't mow. You've, you've, you like calculate it daily of how much the grass yeah. should have gotten mowed this day if you ran a mower across it, but you don't mow every day, but you add those together or you take the average or something. But it's... Yeah. So um, this, is, this is perfect. Um, so I want us to keep circling back to this because I think that if we explain it uh, multiple times and again and again, uh, event, I, this will be boring for the average person, but the average person is not watching a turf math uh, video. So, or they're not listening to a turf math podcast. So I'm not, I'm not concerned about the average person. I want to try to make this really clear to the people who, uh, who are interested in like, what is this growth ratio and how do you use it? But we can circle around and talk about a couple of other topics and then come back to this, which might help us to, to um, it might help to learn things by uh, changing the topic and then coming back. And I know you, you guys have been traveling a lot recently. I saw you both, met, you met in person at Harrogate at BTME. And uh, I think, Bjarni, before that, you'd been in a tropical place looking at yes. tropical grasses. And Jason, you'd been to uh, to Scotland. So maybe uh, let's start with Jason telling... Jason, tell us about your Scotland trip. So the week before um, BTME, I uh, did a tour of 
a number of links style uh, and a couple non-link style uh, golf courses in Scotland. And uh, yeah, there it is. I, I have not been to Augusta. I was not there. <laughs> if anybody out there just hey, so on, like on to the make Augusta, that happen on on the Augusta thing, yeah, I'm I'm drinking coffee out of a uh, Augusta National Cup, and uh, oh, Jason's got a talking greenkeeper sticker. Nice. Yeah. Um, Bjarni, yours. I didn't is, know this was I, a show and tell. I <laughs> Bjarni's got I, IKEA. <laughs> um, but uh, just just to talk about Augusta, wow. There's a lot of talk. Another talking greenkeeper oh, sticker. That's awesome, Bernie. Worldwide, um, yeah. Worldwide. So yeah, I, I was touring Scotland just because. I mean, I'm I'm at one of the few links style golf courses in North America. So uh, and we're trying to I mean, be the best uh, in the world is is one of our goals. So uh, to go and tour through some of the uh, the best that Scotland had to offer uh, was kind of a, a little trip that we decided to take i went with there with lee strutt and we uh toured around and talked to greenskeepers saw a lot of snow uh but we saw some grass and it was uh it was pretty cool yeah so you did do the surfaces you how far north did you go uh we went as far as brora which is north of inverness about an hour's drive 100 mm-hmm. kilometers yeah was was it covered in snow uh it was yeah it it had snowed that morning um we we saw a little bit of grass um, through, but uh, yeah, not not too, unfortunately not too much grass up there. And does the species composition on those lynx courses that on the ones where you did see quite a bit of grass, does the species composition look like anything that you've seen before in British Columbia, Washington, the prairies, or in uh, at Cabot Cape Breton? No, I mean, obviously, these most of these courses were, I mean, the ones ones where I could see grass, so um, courses like St. Andrews, uh, obviously, they're a little bit older than the course that I'm at now, which is just over a decade old. Uh, they, it was a much more of a hodgepodge uh, of species, uh, fescues, bents, lipoa, but um, the, I would say from a playability standpoint, it can conditions were uh, amazing um so i mean if you're not super concerned about having a pure stand of a certain type of grass um, which i don't think um most people are it's mostly about the characteristics of the of the surface and the amount of inputs that are required to produce that surface so um uh, just because you have a bit of poet doesn't mean that it's a high maintenance surface um so it was it was pretty good i was i was very impressed with st andrews especially with the amount of traffic that they get there. Um, when I was there, uh, they didn't have snow cover, but the ground was frozen, so the courses were closed. Um, and it was kind of interesting because normally you would think that when a course closes, that gives it a rest. And like St. Andrews famously is closed on Sunday. Um, but but actually they get more traffic on those rest days because the entire town just comes out for picnics and they're walking around the course, walking their dogs. Um, like the right to roam in the UK. So there is just people everywhere. So it was cool. We didn't have any golfers in our way. We didn't worry about getting hit by golf balls, but there was hundreds of people walking around the courses um, when they were closed. And I was impressed 
that uh, there was any grass, to be honest, in a lot of these spots. So they, um, they were really, um, I was really impressed with the surfaces there. Bjarni, did you ever work, did you work at St. Andrews when you were going to school? I lived, I lived in St. Andrews for three winters. Uh, and I worked the links for a couple of weeks, uh, like the week leading up to and during the, um, the, the Dunhill Championship. Mm-hmm. Dunhill Championship is a pro-am tournament. tournament. <clears throat> Played on um, Carnoustie and, and Kings Barnes. I also did Kings Barnes as well. Uh, no, and I've, I, you know, as a resident of St. Andrews, you're, we were able to purchase the, uh, what's called the links ticket, is the sort of seasonal you know, we only paid back at the time. I, I, I'm assuming it's a bit higher now because it's 20 years ago. But we only paid 140 pounds, and we could play any of the six courses at the time. They didn't have the salmon at the time, but any of the six, if you could get a tea time. So I've played the old course. I don't know, 20 times, 30 times. We just like we often we would go there after what we call after dark hours, and, and where you can't finish 18 holes, you just show up, and if you have the tank, you, you, you're able to do that. So I've played many times 16 holes. Try to drive in the dark on the 17th. <laughs> <laughs> and not, walk in. not always finding the ball, I'll tell you. But it's true with the composition. I mean, if you walk on, for example, like, I think the first green on, on the, at the old course is one of those greens that has a lot of other stuff. Well, I did at the time. I don't know how, you know, I haven't been to San Anderson in a little while. But it had a lot of all sorts of species in there, even, you know, playing species and stuff like that. And play a bit it, they did look great that green in particular many did look great but like but putting wise it was i never had any problems sank some putts got some birdies on the first so honestly i got birdied why are you so silent about that <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just thinking they hit over the creek on, and then the green's pretty firm it's uh it's just yeah, uh, it's, it's impressive to to hold yeah. the green and have a, a good birdie putt yeah the key is to go left and mm-hmm. you get a better angle on the green then. You can put it into a wedge shot in there and just check it. Slight fade. Happy days. Jason, uh, I wanted, yeah, yeah. It's great. I wanted to know what, like if you learned uh, things from the greenkeepers that you talked with or the grass that you saw in Scotland, if you would like pick one thing that you learned, what would that be? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I kind of, I, I mean, not to say it's learned. I, I was, firstly, I was just impressed with how open everybody was, uh, even at some very famous courses, um, and how, um, hospitable they were, uh, you know, like they, they all made a ton of time to just sit down and talk. And I, I also, I mean, I, I learned that you know, the challenges that I'm facing, uh, in Canada are very similar to the challenges that they're facing uh, in Scotland. Um, uh, you know, labor, all of those things. Um, and, and from a grass perspective, uh, I mean, most of their challenges actually kind of are the uh, naturalized or the native areas to the periphery where are the, the challenges are with, you know, growth that's too thick and lush and uh, and the woody plant material like the gorse there was Every, every single place we went, gorse management was a huge topic of conversation. Um, and it's, it's a big issue for us here. We don't have gorse, but similar woody plants uh, invading the, the naturalized areas. Um, so, I mean, nothing super uh, you know, groundbreaking by any means, but, but uh, it, was, um, 
it was good to see that uh, I'm not the only one <laughs> that has these these issues. Cool. And Bjarni, uh, you took a trip to the Caribbean, I think, and saw some tropical grasses. Um, yes. And that, uh, I saw you post some pictures of lawns and other things. Did you, did you see any turf grass or pay attention enough to turf grass around the pool <laughs> or along the beach uh, to to discuss or, or ID the species or anything like that? So, well, no, to be, to be absolutely fair, warm season is not my, my strongest field. I hope the drilling that's taking place isn't bleeding too hard into the mic right now. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so we were at the in the Dominic Dominic Republic. It was just me and the family. I wasn't. I didn't even take any golf clubs, or we didn't play anything. But uh, as I do, it's a lot of noise here, isn't it? Um, as I it do, sounds like, uh, sounds like my recording studio sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are installing a shower and bathroom here in our facility, so, so that's why the drilling is going on. That's nice. Um, but no, yeah, but. Grass-wise, I'm always looking at grass, and you know, my wife even starting to spot diseases in grasses. It's kind of sad, but um, obviously, but identifying them, I'm not the best at it. But obviously, seeing you know, I think I was seeing some uh, Bermudas and, and soysia grass somewhere there. But it was it's, the funny thing is though for us is um, everyone there, the locals were saying this is the cool season. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was like yeah. 28, 29, 30 degrees every single day. So we Icelanders, we were just burning up on the beaches there, and, and you know, it's like yeah, slapping yes. on layer and layer of sunscreen, and, and we're just dying. And they're like, ah, oh, putting jeans on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's different in a tropical place because the coolest that it might be is you know a high of something like that. So so that's yeah. the cold time of year. You need sweaters. Uh, and the and the and, and this is. Actually, true. The nighttime temperature never went below the highest recorded daytime temperature in, in Reykjavik for the past four years. So, yeah, that's how. But is, it, is, it, 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 yeah, is that enjoyable for you and your family to experience those kind of temperatures, or is it traumatic? No, it's. I mean, I've obviously been to warmer places than that, but but it's still, the kids sort of thought it was a little too warmish. Um, we are. I found out we Icelanders were really good at like building good warm houses and, and dress off the cold. And because I realized that, you know, for example, the locals there, you go to a supermarket and they, for some reason, refrigerate the <laughs> entire building down to like 80 degrees or whatever. So when you go to the supermarket, we are freezing the Icelanders. And I realized we as a species, Icelanders, we just love very narrow band of temperature, which is indoor temperature, 20 degrees. Anything above it or below it, we hate it for some reason. So I think we are the uh, we are the worst people for dealing with temp different temperatures. <laughs> we struggle. <laughs> Too much AC can't handle it. Too hot outside can't handle it. So, but well, you know, it's it a good yeah. time going there. I, I, I you know, it, it, we had an order to just relax. So I, otherwise, I would have been sort of touring the golf courses and then having more time okay looking at well them. you helped me out with some uh audio for the bill kreuzer episode that i did uh yes and yes. And, and we you fixed that amazingly um where i had a a, a unforced error on my part and just uh, recorded my volume way too low and bill's was normal so to listen to it it 
it's something where you wanted to adjust the speaker, adjust the volume every time the speaker changed. And that's, that's awful. <laughs> um, so, so you, you fixed that. Thank you so much. And then you did some amazing work on that, uh, Australian open video. Um, so that was cool. Thanks. Thanks for doing that while you were on your holiday. At least you could My be pleasure. in some cool temperatures then and get out of that baking sun. It's because I'm a greenkeeper. We wake up pretty early, just naturally, I guess. And so I, I usually wake up like a couple of hours before the rest of the family goes up. So that's why I had time to do that and fix that. And then family hardly noticed. So good. That was good. Well, we have a few comments here. I think we can we yeah. can circle back to the growth uh, ratio topic, and we can discuss that for a while. Discuss, uh, respond to some of these comments and questions, and then we can. Uh, maybe talk about BTME and, and some of that. And, mm-hmm. and we'll just keep this cycle going until we decided that we've, we've had enough. Uh, Randy, sh- uh, let's see if I think, how do I share these? Hmm. <laughs> but there's one interesting oh, point that is here from Eric Johnson. If it's okay, yeah. if I jump in here. Yeah, I, I was just, I'm, I'm playing around with the studio and trying to bring up this uh, in the, to show it on the screen. There we go. So, yeah. yeah. Do you so think Eric Johnson says yeah. here, yeah, the, if the growth ratio is more usable or accurate during the growing season. So one thing that I have noticed in my part of the world, and I think this could be in other places, just depends a little bit. And that's why it's interesting to see more and more people using this. Like we struggle a little bit in the spring here in Iceland because growth ratio predicts such a super low, like for example, May for me, uh, if I use the growth potential, it says it's going to give me something between five to 10, 15% uh, growth potential. Um, During a time I have about 7,000 people playing, you know, on my golf course that month. Um, And, my so usually my growth ratio would be somewhere about 500 600 700 percent in in that time so i usually find it hard to use it in that time frame like once i hit later in the year sort of in in july in august september then it sort of sinks in quite nicely and and i've been using it in that time but i just know for a fact that i have to overshoot it quite aggressively in the beginning of the year for me, but mind you, we are in a you know unusual climate to most people. Um, yeah, th- long song hours and, and and all that. Th- thank so. you, f- thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I think Jason should have some comments on this because he used it in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. uh, 2022, a little bit north of well, also in the Pacific Northwest. So. Jason probably has yeah. some thoughts about what happens in the winter there. I would say I was in the exact same climate as Eric. Um, really, nothing really that too different. Um, yeah, and when the growth ratio or no, the growth potential model uh, is not great at low temperatures, um, it, it does have some issues. Um, so when when your average temperature is say one or two or four degrees Celsius uh, for months at a time, it it's not necessarily giving you um, the best data, but 
but I've also kind of, uh, it's still been usable for me. I generally, through the winter time, um, you get more growth than the model would suggest. Um, and actually, that's not a bad thing because in the winter time, I actually consider that if, if you have a, like a, a winter, like a proper winter, but you're still open, such as uh, the Pacific Northwest, they don't close, but the grass hardly grows through the winter. Um, so if the growth ratio is showing that you're growing it actually quite fast, that's actually a good thing because I, I consider that recovery mode. Like all you're lit, trying to do during the winter is limit the amount of uh, like loss. <laughs> it's like you're not, you're not, your forces, your grass isn't being replenished. It's just slowly dying and you're trying to have it die as slow as possible until it warms up in April. Um, and so to the growth ratio model typically will show a, a higher growth uh, ratio through the winter. And I think actually that's what you want. Um, so it, it's not necessarily, maybe not necessarily the most accurate, but it's still, I think, useful um, just to make sure that it continues to stay high. I find it useful managing it into the winter months for me, especially going in September, October. Um, I find really good correlation there, and it works pretty well. Well, correlation. My, okay, Michael, you're not going to like what I'm, I'm about to say. <laughs> oh man! Because we, because <laughs> we modify. You, you, oh, oh I, that's I, fine. I, I need that's to fine. modify. Okay, I need to modify the uh, the growth potential um, formula. When you I modified said it for 18? You said it to 18? I said it for 18, yeah. Okay. With 18, going into September, October, I actually lock in quite well, and the speedo works pretty well. And my speedo, I set it to 20 mil as well. Okay. So, so my speedo, so for example, my, my last mow of the year, uh, I was sitting at about eight, 80%, um, okay. which so, made sense to me at the time. Yeah, so, so, so that, uh, for everybody in the UK, that's what you'd call the Mark Hunt growth potential, because Mark Hunt also adjusts it to 18 Um mm-hmm which it's just, that's okay to do, but just don't try to compare that to the regular growth potential, which has a uh, optimum temperature set at 20, because if you do that, you're going to wonder why one of them is at 0.6 and one of them is at 0.83. And you're going to spend too much time trying to figure out if you've got an equation wrong in your spreadsheet. And uh, that's, so I advise not to do it, but for advanced users like Bjarni or Mark Hunt, go for it. (laughs) Um, as I just wanted to say, I think there's, there's two things that, um, I don't know the answer to about this. Um, there's no doubt that when we look at the growth ratio in the springtime, uh, it tends to be really high. And what that means in plain English is the grass is growing quite a bit more than the expected growth. And, and when I say expected growth, I mean the amount predicted by growth potential. So, um, and in the spring, you tend to have cooler temperatures. And there, but there's, there's two issues, and I, I don't know which one of these is the, is the cause of this. Is, is it because the growth potential equation just completely is breaking down when the temperatures are that low? Okay, that, that's one option, um, and, and I don't know if that's the case. Or... Is it a grass effect as grass comes out of winter and out of a non-mowing period and moves into uh, springtime and that flush of growth that you have? uh, Is is it like a spring flush or is it a a broken growth potential at low temperatures? 
I, I can't differentiate which one of those it is. I, I'm not sure. But um, I, it, it, I think everybody would agree that's used it. It seems to work pretty well mid-season, end of season. And for somebody like Chris Tritabaugh, um, his will work really well on bank grass in Minnesota after about two weeks after the after the mower like it it's it it gets normal after like two weeks into the season if 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 i look at my clippings coming off the green i'm not seeing a spring flush i just go you know gradually okay i'm gonna get this right on the video (laughs) gradually coming up and then going down if i have dips in my uh, in in the uh, in the in the line here uh, that is usually related to some either irrigation problems or you know I can I can I can account for it I don't understand why it is but normally in a normal year for me we go low we we go from around five five milliliters and then we just climb up gradually up to about you know fifteen during the best days fifteen something like that and then we just taper off so it makes sense it's completely normal it's just that. Um, Spring for us, when I mean spring, is May. It's usually colder than September, but we get similar numbers. Like what's coming off my greens is very similar. So we should stop it. <laughs> it's <laughs> no, not, it's not that. It's not that loud. <laughs> but okay, but yeah, I can good. hear a drill. In, in my ears, it's really just really. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Anyway. So so therefore, I, I'm not seeing that spring flush. Um, it's just that May is colder than September, but September May gives me similar numbers. Um, I think it's I think it's really cool because you no, know, we really haven't measured growth like this yet, and, or, or um, for for very long, few years. Um, you mean we? As I a, find, you mean we as an industry, Jason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like using the growth ratio. So I. Um, I kind of found the more that I used it, the less I was getting those big spring uh, growth surges uh, with the ratio. Um, but that might be because I was using the growth ratio into the fall. So I wasn't applying as much fertilizer maybe. Um, so it's interesting here. I first year at a new course, first year at a course with like an actual winter. Um, we had massive growth once in like uh, April, like April and May actually. And it wasn't just, massive to the growth ratio it was massive throughout the whole year like our biggest clipping yields were coming from that time of the year i don't know i mean i kind of expect or i have the records from last year or the year prior the fertilizer records but i wonder if that's just like a uh residual um there's a lot of uh like granular organics put down um if that was uh what that what i was seeing or was it the model or uh, or what? So we'll see this this fall. I went in um, using the growth ratio, and we put down quite a bit less into the fall, um, mm-hmm. just because we had sufficient growth. Um, so it'll be interesting to see next year if I if the growth ratio as we come in. Uh, our spring is also May um, mm-hmm. here, uh, as it starts the grass starts to wake up. If it's as big of a um, a surge as we've had in the past, or 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 what? I don't know, but it's. At this point, we're just kind of figuring that out. So, um, I think there must be a plant. There must be a plant response after coming out of like a. Uh, I mean, a survival instinct, right? You haven't been growing for the last six months. It kind of makes sense. It finally warms up. Let's just like let's 
let's shoot up as quick as we can to uh, to start getting that sunlight and everything else. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, I since I start following, you know, recording my clippings and and looking at growth potential, it has changed how I approach spring management. And because um, in the past you would have gone, you know, twenty years ago I would have gone out with quite a bit of nitrogen granules to form in the spring and trying to push, you know, push growth and and get it going. And it wouldn't kick in properly until the temperatures kicked in, and then we got a lot of growth. Um, Nowadays, I don't do that. I keep it a little bit leaner because I'm looking at the numbers and I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting it to grow a bit slower due to temperature. Now, that has led to me having a more sort of smoother curve. So once the temperature kick up, I don't get this kick in growth that I used to have in the past. Um, so I'm, I'm quicker to get good, you know, speeds on the greens that, you know, because usually when it starts kicking in like that, it, it will slow down the greens, get them bumpy. It will take a little, you know couple of weeks to sort of get the edge of that and try to get up to better speeds but nowadays sort of managing them like this getting smoother in it's much better but mind you i'm higher on the nitrogen than i would have again growth potential would predict but still these are not high high numbers by any means you know where you're applying through the month of may maybe 12 kilograms of nitrogen or something per hectare 1.2 grams ish which is very high for May in the temperature, but in the back in the day it used to be in the twenties. Yeah, that's that's not 24. that's not much nitrogen. That's two two tenths of a pound uh, of nitrogen for our American friends. Um, we got all kinds of people who are joining in the chat. Uh, thank you, everyone. I'm gonna say hi to Randy in Bulgaria, uh, Eric Johnson in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Randy, Randy said there's another person using uh, uh, growth ratio. He said that TJ, TJ uh, from Olympic View in Victoria, British Columbia, he, he was over speaking at the Bulgarian Greenkeepers Conference, and uh, apparently he's using growth ratio. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I forgot about um, that, uh, that location that's using it. So now we have like at least three people that are using it, right? <laughs> um, uh, let's see. We, uh, Danny, Danny says, good morning from uh, Liverpool, England. Uh, hello, Danny. Uh, Chris, oh, Chris Tritabaugh had a, a user error on his alarm. Yeah, time zones can be tricky. Uh, and I know trying to coordinate this uh, with me and... <laughs> We're all, all three of us on this call are in different time zones. And I can imagine for us to coordinate and for everybody that wants to watch to coordinate, it's, uh, it, it could be a bit tricky. So no, Chris, we, we're trying to cycle through the growth ratio because we all realize we, we, in fact, I talked about you, how you and I had had that conversation in April and we both thought that we totally understand it and talked through it and that you were going to use it that year. And then we realized mid-season, or you realized mid-season, that you weren't actually using the growth ratio in the way that we talked about in April. And uh, that experience and all kinds of other experiences of me trying to explain it in seminars last year also, uh, and just realizing like all of a sudden I've reached a wall that I'm all of a sudden I, I can realize like people are not understanding what I'm talking about. And I thought, let's try to talk about growth ratio and just go through it again and again and again and keep 
uh, keep trying to explain it, but maybe take some breaks and talk about Scotland or the Dominican Republic or BTME to take some break from growth ratio, and then we'll cycle back to talk about it again. Um, so there's there's more growth ratio coming up. Uh, let's see. Eric says... Ah, okay. Yeah, so this is interesting. He's using models and prism gauge to assist whether we mow or not. Um, I I think, like like Jason would say, just use your actual clipping volume to decide if you're going to mow or not, right? Like, you wouldn't really uh, rely yeah, on a model, would you? Uh, I, would, I would agree with Eric because the model might say you need to cut every 20 days. But there's too much variability in the weather over 20 day period. Mm -hmm. um, so you might have a couple of warm days in the middle. And, and so to use like a predictive model to tell you when to cut, I think it's, I mean, a stint meter, if you're open, I used to go out and stint the greens. And if they were slow, we would roll them. And if they're still slow, we'd mow them. Um, and a, a prism gauge, uh, similar kind of thing. Are, it, 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 what's your height at? And you can see if the grass has grown uh, or yeah, your laser, your laser gauge. Yeah. laser this, yeah and. this thing is sweet and look how small it is see it, it just it it fits in the palm of your hand um and that okay that's the case uh, i'm showing now this this beautiful uh laser laser height of cut gauge invented by alexander grangs the equipment manager at uh Shili golf club in south china and it's got this line laser so you put this right over it and it shines the laser through and uh yeah, it's brilliant so i think i'm sure a lot of people have bought this it's it's wild what the price was like i think less than five hundred dollars eric needs to buy one then yeah, Eric. Me too, Eric to be fair, I would love that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he said yeah. Uh, he but does not have that gauge. With um, yeah, but the protecting. We, I usually tend to, um, like I said, because it sinks in quite well here. I can pretty well, you know, sort of predict where when we need to mow or not in the autumn. You know, because you get up to where you have to mow every you know once a week or something like that every seven days, and. We've been able to predict it quite nicely, so to make sure that when we're going out and mow, we're getting at least more than 10 mil, 10, 15 in the buckets. Otherwise, it's, it's sort of pointless. But I agree, yeah, if you, if you want to be sure, stimping is quite a quick way to go out there and just check it real quick and um, to see if you need it or not. I'm a big fan of not mowing when I don't need to. I don't know. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that was the original intent for me to measure clippings yeah. was to... Uh, limit the amount of time that I would go out and cut almost nothing because it was just a waste. Yeah. I, I, I had a staff of three. It was like, we went out and cut nothing. It's a goal. We could have done something else. Um, and also just the stress of mowing. Mowing is very stressful, especially when the grass is barely growing. So it spreads, spreads uh, disease around, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's why when I started uh, reducing fungicide use, we really started to notice yeah, disease spread from mowing. Uh, so I would roll if I needed the speed. Uh, and then only mow. And I think there was there was years in the Pacific Northwest where I went like a, over 100 days without mowing. Uh, and I was able to keep the green speeds up through the winter. Uh, now that was a, you know, uh, 
low traffic. I can sometimes go to 100 days without mowing. <laughs> Middle of the winter. That's <laughs> uh, uh, same here. Yeah, same thing. Uh, I don't think I could get on the course of a snowmobile right now. So no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's um, yeah. That was the original intent, and so I think mm-hmm. uh, like like Eric uses a prism gauge. That's measuring the actual thing that we want. Um, that is the amount of growth that we've had, and or. Uh, how, how much longer is the grass versus how much how high we want it to be. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, use a prism. Uh, if you're managing ball roll, then use a stim meter. Um, and for growth, the growth ratio, um, it's not necessarily a playability thing. It's a fertilizer thing for me. It's a, or, and a plant growth regulator thing. Um, and then if you grow the, the grass at the right speed, it's easier to get those uh, performance, the performance of the grains. Uh, so it's whether it's traffic managed, uh, like traffic tolerance, uh, that's a performance thing in the summer when you have you know, solid tea times. Um, but it's also green speed. So, um, you know, at Cabot, we have KPIs. And this year, um, uh, in the spring, we hit our target green speed earlier than we've ever done. Um, and that was, I mean, I was using the growth ratio and uh, we had this massive amount of growth, um, not just not just compared to the weather, but actually we were cutting a ton of grass um, and I just didn't fertilize because we had enough growth and the growth ratio slowly came down. And then when we got it to where we wanted it to, um, which is about 30% for fescue, um, we started supplementing with fertilizer to, uh, to keep it where we wanted it to be at. Um, and that just got us to where we wanted to be quicker. Um, but uh, it, the growth ratio didn't do it. We were also mowing and, and rolling and doing all of that stuff, um, adjusting heights of cut and everything else. But um, we weren't making our lives harder by growing the grass faster than we needed to. Yeah, I, th- I think um, putting fertilizer on a schedule or just like, I think like the way a lot of people fertilize is they've got a rate of fertilizer that they like to apply. And and so it's sort of like they apply a tenth of a pound when they apply fertilizer or they apply, you know, 0.15 pounds or something, you know, some something like half a gram or, or you know, five kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, that type of rate. And that's their standard rate, but they don't always apply it every seven days. They don't apply it every 14 days. I think people tend to go fertilize when they think they need to fertilize. And then they're like, you know, I'll just skip it this week. We'll get it next week because the grass already looks fine. So it's kind of like a bit of feel and just keep reapplying that standard rate. But if you're just doing it based on feel, uh, I think you can't do it as good as if you use the growth ratio, which is um, which is just looking exactly at, at how much it's growing and taking the way you feel about it out you you can still make the decision based on feel but you've got that number to say well this is telling me that it's actually growing okay i don't need to put that application it was it was really cool so like this year uh new golf course five six thousand kilometers away from where i was before different type of grass um so i'm growing fescue now and they're i would say 98 percent fescue uh creeping red uh, they're still very very pure um just because we're so new um, and, and we had this massive growth coming into the spring and, 
so what I had to do is calibrate the growth ratio. So how I calibrated it was we were just watching uh, and watching that growth ratio drop. You know, it was at like five, six hundred percent and slowly it's coming down um, as the season progresses. Uh, and we just uh, I mean, everyone's like, oh, these math models that takes like the artist artistry out of it. No, like I had to go out there and look at the grass because I didn't know what the right growth ratio was for uh, this climate, this type of grass, the size of the greens that I have. So we have about two hectares of putting green surface. So they're huge. So we might be able to get away with a lower growth ratio than someone that's growing fescue on one hectare of putting greens, right? Just, it, it kind of makes sense. Um, you, you need, if you have less surface area, less traffic spreading, you have to grow faster. So anyways, growth ratio is coming down. Uh, and uh, I'm lucky that I'm, I mean, it's, it's awesome thing about working at Cabot here is we have two golf courses. We have, it's not just me. I have a bunch of other turf managers here who are world-class. So uh, our director of agronomy, Lee Strutt, and uh, and then the other superintendent, Jason Zeibel, um, it, it just makes it so easy to get it right because it's <laughs> you have all this other experience. So using their experience as the growth ratio is coming down, they kind of uh, help me say this is about, this is like exactly what we want. This is what they should look like. Um, and then at that point it was at 30%. So I was like, okay, this is what we're at, 30%. And then I, you know, of course, started playing around, but what happens if I get them down to 20%? Well, 20% was too slow. Started letting traffic issues, greens get a little bit bumpy. They don't look very good. Um, so we uh, bumped them back up to 30. So for my course, the growth ratio that we're looking for is 30. Um, and if we need winter recovery, it might be one. But um, we, that's kind of our, our standard rate. So that's kind of how um, I calibrated it here. Um, and it was a similar on POA. Um, I mean, just kind of watching the grass, observing the disease, observing the issues, and just trying to fine-tune that number for your site. Um, but I would say if you're going fescue, 30 is probably a good target. If you're going POA, 80 to 85 is a good target. Uh, if you're going bent grass, 40 to 60% is a good target. And, um, and, and what we're talking again about this percent um, is it's your actual growth compared to your expected growth. So yes. um, your, your expected growth always changes based on the weather. So the, mm -hmm. the expected growth right now, so that's very site-specific, your expected growth, and that's, that's incorporating growth potential and, and a theoretical clipping volume to give you a expected growth of zero when the temperatures are not suitable for growth. And it's giving you an expected growth of 20 liters per thousand square meters. Bjarni, is that right? Is that the right <laughs> unit? <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 liters, per, or, liters per thousand. Yeah, liters per thousand. Uh, also meter, yeah. 20 milliliters per square meter. Yeah. Um, uh, so that it gives you that amount of clippings if the, or I mean, that's in the denominator, that's your expected growth if, uh, if the temperatures are perfect. So, um, yeah, this is, this is terrific. Um, I'm, I want to answer Danny's question. Uh, Danny from Liverpool is asking, 
uh, he said he's found that the growth ratio has massively improved the green's health and performance. My question is, how do you figure out how much N you have removed from the clippings? Great question, Danny. Um, you, uh, you guess at it. <laughs> well, I mean, so I have, I have an opinion on this. And, and so the whole... The, the growth ratio is a tool. I, I used to try to figure out how much N I'm removing. There's math that Micah has on his site that could tell you how to estimate that closely based on the clipping volume. The growth ratio, I don't care how much N I'm removing. And I don't care what the model tells me how much N I should apply. Uh, all I care about is what my growth ratio is. So the growth rate's coming down. When it gets down to my target, I will hit it with a standard amount of fertilizer. Um, for me, that's like one bag of urea. It's a 25 kilo bag of urea per hectare. Um, so I have two hectares. I throw two bags in the tank. And then I watch the growth ratio kind of bump up. And then when it comes back down, I just hit it again. So I don't, it, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is I'm getting the right amount of growth. Um, and I use the tools that I have to get that growth. Sorry, that's, but that's that's. I mean, it, I mean, it. I think you should still. I mean, measure it, figure it out, uh, do the math um, on how much, and you are removing versus how much you're applying. Um, but, but I just I just put the same amount of N every single time, and I time it based on, the growth ratio. And I know uh, I've read Chris does it differently. Micah, you helped him come up with a, a cool method. Um, if you're stuck to a schedule, had to adjust that. Um, mm -hmm. But those things to me don't matter anymore. All I care about, uh, and, and another reason why I don't care about them is because sometimes you're getting nitrogen from the soil. Mm -hmm. uh, so you will have mineralization. And so the growth ratio takes that into account. So nothing else really, there's all these, all these other models, theoretical models that do that. I don't care where the end is coming from. All I care about is, am I getting the right amount of growth? So if all of a sudden in the, you know, tip, what I used to get years ago was a big growth flush in August. Well, the growth ratio would account for that because all of a sudden I'm getting the right amount of growth and I don't need to apply nitrogen to get that amount of growth. So I don't. Um, so it, it, it makes it really easy. If you, if your if your growth ratio is sufficient, don't apply any yet. Uh, if it's low, apply in. So that's, that's my opinion on that. But I, uh, I mean, I'm open to, I still think it's really cool to measure it oh. or to try to measure it. Uh, I'll try to answer Danny's question, um, which, uh, which is if somebody wants to estimate how much nitrogen you've removed from the clippings, like for example, one thing that you could do is try to estimate how much nitrogen you removed from the clippings. I wrote about that on Pace Turf today as, as one potential method. Uh, you can estimate how much you remove from the clippings, and then at the next fertilizer application, you take the cumulative amount that, that you think that you've removed, that you've calculated that you've removed since your uh, most recent fertilizer application. You add in some kind of estimate of how much nitrogen you apply as fertilizer gets lost because you don't assume 100% uptake. So you add on a little bit more, and then you could reapply with that rate that's uh, linked somehow to how much you think that you've harvested. That, that's one thing that you could do. 
I'm also recommending using the growth ratio method. I don't I don't recommend doing this particular method, but it, it is interesting to estimate, especially like at the end of the year, you might want to know I've applied 50 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare or one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet. If that was the amount of nitrogen you applied, it's really interesting to know how much you harvested if you can get an estimate of that. And I, I jokingly said earlier that you guess at it um, because you unless you collect all your clippings and send all your clippings to a laboratory and measure how much nitrogen's in it, uh, you, you are guessing at it. But, but what you do is, uh, you, you can figure that for any single clipping, uh, collection date, there's going to be a bit of variation, but on average about, uh, the, the dry weight of the clippings is going to be a about 6% of whatever the volume is. So um, if, if you have, if you have a thousand milliliters of, of fresh clippings, if you have one liter of fresh clippings, we can assume that that when dried will weigh about 60 grams. So that is our conversion factor. So we take our clippings and we convert it to an estimated dry weight. And then we just assume that we have however much nitrogen you want to assume that you have in your leaf tissue. You could check this sometimes and, and figure out how much you tend to be running uh, with nitrogen concentration in your clippings. If you're really into this, um, it might be interesting to do a couple of times. Maybe you could check once in the spring, once in the uh, summer once in the autumn, or, or you could do this for one year and check once a month, what your leaf tissue concentration is, if you're really interested in this, but you don't, you don't need to do that because you can assume for most cool season grass, it's going to be about 4% in the, in the clippings, um, where it tends to be 5% or 6% is going to be where you're really aggressively fertilizing. But I think most people that are measuring clipping volume, tend not to be really aggressively fertilizing. So they're probably going to be more in the 4% range. So now you've got, you've already converted from fresh weight to dry weight with that 6% conversion. And then you just multiply that times uh, 4%. So, so you multiply that times 0.04 and that tells you your mass of nitrogen that was in the clippings. And then you divide it by the area that that one liter of fresh clippings came from. And so the, the conversion factors that you use are 0 0.06 for 6% and 0 0.04. Um, and, and that's how I, I solve that, that problem. And that's how I estimate how much I remove from the clippings. That's a very good question, Danny. And then you've, you're, you've got a follow-up question that is terrific, <laughs> which is how do you figure out the recommended nitrogen rate from your growth ratio? Um, and, I think, uh, Jason, maybe you have some thoughts on that. Well, like I, like I said, I just apply the same amount every time uh, because I hate measuring and the bags are already measured for me. So I just throw a bag in the tank and when, I'm, when my growth ratio, I mean, seriously, uh, the, 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 the growth ratio dips and, okay, let's go out and hit the greens with a little bit of an um, mm -hmm. and let's bump that growth ratio back up. That's all I'm doing is... I am, uh, I am pushing the grass to go faster. What I'm putting out in, that's what I'm doing. I want you to go faster. So 
uh, than we currently are. And that's what the growth ratio does. It tells me I need to apply some man. So I just apply some man. Okay, like, so that was, you, that was you, another thing I, a problem is like when I apply in, how long does it last, right? Like you can have all of these models that, that try to, to guess how long a fertilizer app lasts, but last, but I don't really care. All I care is I'm getting the right amount of growth. So if I'm not getting the right amount of growth, I will push that growth with fertilizer. I can, so. it's like the, the way I sort of, uh, I actually go a little bit lower than you are. I'm, I'm, um, if I'm in a growing season, I look at what's going to happen for the next, you know, weather forecast wise, roughly what the temperature is going to be and, 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 you know, what the growth potential is going to be. So in a normal temperature range, uh, I would usually go out with about 5K of nitrogen per hectare, uh, which is similar to a bag of ammonium sulfide. 25K bag of ammonium sulfide is like 5 point whatever. Um, so I would, you know, I push it up there and, cause I, and then I can sort of r roughly estimate how long that's going to last, roughly based on the, uh, based on um, the nitrogen based on the growth you know growth potential and then what what i what i do is just imagine what is the maximum nitrogen i would apply during a month and uh that might be 20k might be 30k whatever in your climate we have to play around with this so i'm not going to talk about exactly what i do but i just assume that i'm doing this uh, over uh, say 20 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare or two grams per square meter then you just multiply by the days you're looking ahead, like a week coming up. How much is that off the 30 days? So divided by, <laughs> divided by, you know, four ish. And then, uh, what is the growth potential in that period, roughly? And then you multiply that, and then you see a number that is going to be, you know, if if I see that number being high, like seven, eight kilograms, I would increase my rate and put down seven, eight kilograms per hectare. Or if I'm coming into autumn and I know it's going to slow down quite a bit, I would drop that down to about three kilograms or ish around about that time. But it's in a similar way that you do it. What I mean is like if I see I'm dropping growth-wise, I, I take the nitrogen out and I push it. And if I don't get the response that I need, I might go out again and kick it in. Because it's true, you can't exactly know what's going to happen nitrogen-wise very accurately, as accurate as you would like to uh, when you're managing the green. So just looking at the growth, it's, uh, you know, and the growth ratio, if you start to drop below, just go out and hit it with a little bit of nitrogen. If you do that over and over and over again, over a long period of time, you get a good feel for your greens. And you get, you know, it becomes a bit of a, you can start doing this with a feel, if you like. But when I started, I really looked at the numbers, like very closely. Now I'm sort of, been able to say, like, okay, okay, we're heading in there with about 3K or uh, looking at the forecast, it's about five, uh, it's seven actually, you know, so that's how I do it. Um, it's interesting, they're, they're, even though we're like, I mean, essentially using a model, uh, yeah. like you said, there's, there's a ton of feel because mm -hmm. we don't know what the weather's going to do in the next couple no. of weeks. Um, and so um, it's kind of like there, there's a ton of feel actually, because you're kind of like, do I is the model going to like plummet or is it going to, is it going to continue kind of stable? Like what's going on? Um, do I use urea? Do I use ammonium sulfate? Do I use like a, a nitrate based product? Um, By the way, I use urea. I just drop it down to 5k ish. 
range. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, it's easy for me to do a 5K app because I have two hectares yeah. of green, so one bag. Um, and urea is, we kind of use that uh, as a slow release fertilizer. Um, yeah. It's a you fantastic guys in, you guys in your bags, season long <laughs> slow release. Bags of product. They've got, you can do scales. You, you could put 13 kilograms. You can uh, put. I, I used to do that. <laughs> no, I, I need to measure it because my greens are like 1.6 hectares. So, you know, I don't, uh, you know, we measure it out. I know you like the bags because it just sits <laughs> right in that range. Just grab it, um, you throw it on the sprayer, uh, dump it, good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but on, I, I, I will have to measure. But what I will say, though, about the having these modules and how they help you out is that um, before I used the growth ratio, what I did, I, I used the growth potential and multiplied it by a set number, like I told you before. Like I had a set number uh, for that month of May maximum. If I had great weather, how much would I put in? How much nitrogen would I need? Imagining we had like 20 degrees every single day, slowly, and try a month. Um, and we sort of, again, you play around and find that number a little bit with the experience. But then I broke that down to a single individual day and then to multiply that with the growth ratio. And I, what I found is that I, sometimes I looked at the greens and I thought, they're actually kind of good. Um, but my nitrogen is telling me I'm actually low. Uh, I'm going to trust my eyes a little too much. And then you come in next day and you're like, yeah, a little bit of nitrogen yesterday would have, <laughs> you know what I mean? So when I start trusting these numbers a little bit better, it evened out my greens because, you know, you sometimes dip a little bit. You know, I'm not saying I crashed by no means. I'm just saying you just knew you missed a spray, especially if that happened on a Friday and you, you, you had a weekend off and you come on a Sunday, you're like, oh, my God, I should have trusted these numbers a little bit better. So with with having the clip ball, actually knowing them and seeing them, that helps me even better. I think that's better than having just this calculation like I did before. You need to learn your site, though. That's a key thing because it's I, these are modules, and then you, know, you, know, you have to adjust them sometimes. I'm I'm going to try uh, to summarize in my own words, kind of the 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 similar but slightly different ways that you guys approach this, and then uh, then mention the equation that Chris just showed, which is another way to to deal with this. Um, but Jason, I'll, I'll summarize yours first and tell me if I, if I understand correctly, you care how much the grass is growing and, and that is the criterion that you're looking for. And if it's growing too fast, you're not going to put nitrogen. And if it's not growing fast enough, you make a nitrogen application at a standard rate. And that, that standard rate, tell me again, the nitrogen rate that's your standard rate, is it 50 well, kilograms? I mean, it's, it's, or sorry, it five on, kilograms? Uh, it depends on, on how much of a bump I want. But yes, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's 10. Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll put in uh, one bag area, one bag of ammonium sulfate. It's all based on how big a bag is <laughs> and not measuring. Um, yep. <laughs> okay. So, but, so you're, uh, that's kind of, yeah. And then you're, you're I would flipping. say five to ten. Okay, so so we're talking about uh, a tenth of a pound up to two tenths of a pound uh, of of nitrogen per application. So you're basically just saying, here's my growth ratio, 
right? So you're not looking at the absolute clipping volume. You're looking at the growth ratio and you're saying if the growth ratio is lower than you want, you put nitrogen or if, or if it's trending down and you see that it looks like it's going to dip below where you want it, you'll add some. And if it's above and you're fine, you skip nitrogen. Okay. That's simple. Did I explain it right? Yeah. Okay. Bjarni, uh, I understand you to do something very similar. However, you adjust the rate, not simply on how much the grass is growing today, but you look into the future, perhaps the next week of weather, perhaps the next two weeks of weather, and you consider what the nutrient demand may be in the upcoming time, and you then adjust the, night, the, the rate of the application based on that. Yeah. But I, would, I, I always like to be on the low side uh, because it's easier for me to you know, go out and apply more. And I can't turn back, <laughs> you know, if I, if I apply too much. So that's why I tend to not go much above five degrees. It's five kilograms or 0.5 grams um, per application. But it's unless there is something coming up, like temperature is going up, um, uh, then maybe I would hit the seven, you know, uh, seven kilograms. I, Going into tens means that I have an issue and I need to force growth, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I like to. I would I would rather go out and spray twice than, than, in, than overdoing it. Um, but that is based also on because I I would not go for example in September. I rather just slow it down a little bit and go to the threes, um, because I know and these are colder temperatures. Mm-hmm. So, if that makes if that makes sense. That that makes sense. Okay, so so because I don't like spraying fixed days. I don't like going, go, you know, every other Monday or every Monday or whatever. I would rather do it according to what my grass is telling me. Because, like I've said before, like if I drop below a certain level, then growth wise, I know I it takes me a little while getting getting everything back, and I don't like going there. Yeah, that, that's very good advice. It's don't over fertilize. You can always uh, go put some more out later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're almost, I mean, we've got all kinds of great questions. Uh, yeah. I'm, unless we have a big crash, I think we're going to get to all of these. Um, <laughs> but I, I do want to, to explain another way that you can do it if you want to use an equation. Uh, and that takes into account the growth ratio that you want versus the growth ratio that you have. Okay, and, and that's the equation that Chris shows, which is uh, specific to his units. So uh, I think we're skipping ahead some questions, um, but, but we'll go back and get to those. So Chris shared a formula that is, is you, you don't have to use the exact numbers here, but let me explain what it is. He said, my formula, which Micah came up with, is 0.05, that's his nitrogen rate, times 0.3, that's his target growth ratio, divided by the trailing 14-day average growth ratio. That is that is the expected, I, I mean, that's the growth ratio that he's he's actually had at the site. Okay, and then he said there that 0.05 is his standard rate of N in pounds per thousand square feet, and 0.3 is the desired growth ratio. 
let me try to generalize this and, and explain why this equation is going to give you a nitrogen rate that is adjusted from your standard rate, and it's going to be adjusted higher if your growth ratio is lower than you want, and it's going to drop your nitrogen rate lower if your growth ratio is higher than what you want. And so the equation is, it has three variables in it, or, or three inputs. You take the standard fertilizer rate that you like to apply at a single application. So we're, we're talking here about spoon feeding, right? We're, we're talking about you, you, you're applying just a little bit of, of nitrogen. Uh, so you take the rate that you would typically apply, and you multiply that times the desired growth ratio divided by the actual growth ratio. Now, let's just imagine, so that's the equation that Chris has shown. Uh, let's imagine that your desired growth ratio is 0.5 or, or 50%, but you've actually had a, a growth ratio of 1%. So it means the, the grass is growing a lot more than you want. So in that case, it's going to cut your nitrogen rate in half for that next application. And let's say that your, uh, let's say you want a growth ratio of 0.6, but you actually had a growth ratio recently of 0.3. Now it's going to get doubled. So the way that, that it works is it's going to systematically adjust your standard nitrogen rate. So for people, <clears throat> I... I kind of think that like Jason's really on to something of like, what are we doing putting nitrogen when the grass is already growing faster? So should we just skip the application entirely or should we just cut it in half? And that's where you're going to have to get a feel for how your grass responds. You're going to have to get a feel for um, how it works at your property. But uh, the equation that that's on the screen now, the equation that Chris showed, the equation that I've just explained, which is the rate of fertilizer that you typically apply in a single application multiplied by your desired growth ratio divided by the actual recent growth ratio, that is going to adjust your nitrogen in proportion to what the difference is. Be I mean, it's going to adjust it exactly in proportion to the ratio between your desired to actual growth ratio. So, uh, this is a turf math episode, and we have jumped uh, way, way into <laughs> into it. So this is uh, this is lovely. So I mean, Chris. So he he says that the re reason he does this is because he is uh, also putting uh, his schedule for fertilizer is based on his PGR schedule, which is mm -hmm. tied to growing degree days. So he doesn't want to have to go out separately to apply all these different products he puts them all in the same tank and and sprays it all at once which is just an efficiency thing mm -hmm. but i have a problem with growing degree day models uh, especially if they're used for pgrs but i would like to pre preface this by saying that the work that like kreuzer has done is, is i mean it's amazing uh it's so much better than what we were doing before the problem i have with it is that um, it's a model used to apply products that manipulate growth rate, but it doesn't actually take the actual growth rate into account. So that's where 
the GDD model can get you close, but if so things like PGR stacking, where the cumulative effects of multiple applications can, um, can increase the level of suppression that you get from a, a PGR. Um, if you aren't measuring the growth ratio, you could uh, get over suppression. So Bill's done a lot of work on uh, what happens when you stack PGRs um, and trying to get that model. But ultimately we're using PGRs to manage growth. So you need to measure growth if you're, um, if you're using PGRs uh, to manage that growth. Well, so you, you if, don't, you don't need to, but you wonder why wouldn't you? It's really helpful, right? Because there's a lot of people using so I, PGRs that don't measure clipping volume, but they should be. <laughs> I was I was applying uh, PGRs, GDD, just like Chris, but then I found that the models, I mean, they're not perfect. They're just models. They're pretty close, but I was getting a stacking effect and my growth ratio was dipping and dipping and dipping, but I was holding fast to that P, uh, GDD model when I should have been actually like, hey, uh, we have, we're not getting enough growth. I'm applying in, I'm still not getting enough growth. Like let's, let's, let's stretch this interval um, because I was getting that stacking effect. So the growth ratio can help you uh, see if you are like getting too much suppression from a growth, uh, from a PGR. So, I mean, there's another question on here kind of asking about uh, PGRs. Where was that? Yeah, I, I'm going to bring up Barry's yeah, yeah, Barry. Uh, let's see, Barry. Asked. And also, the GDD doesn't isn't everywhere in the world the same. I'm always the one sticking out here because we have certain certain. Uh, I, I don't think it's been absolutely proven here yet, but there's very very strong evidence that if you're in high light, long light, not high strong light, but like long day lengths, um, then uh, the GDD actually drops and breaks down quicker. Um, and so there's been sort of been talk about 150 being roughly more accurate than the 200 model. And then you can debate on that as you were talking about. So therefore, I've never seen the stacking happening here. <laughs> I, I just, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, and I've talked about this with Chris. I, I, uh, I, I think about this, about, about growth regulators. Uh, sometimes I don't understand why people are applying so much nitrogen and so much plant growth regulator at the same time. And, if you measure the clippings, you can figure out how much nitrogen, you can estimate how much nitrogen you're harvesting, which can help you to reduce your nitrogen rate back to something reasonable. I think a lot of the thatch, I mean, I'm changing the subject here, but I think a lot of the thatch problems in the industry come from people over fertilizing with nitrogen and then they regulate the growth. And so the grass has a lot of photosynthesis and stores those carbohydrates into the soil um, or I mean into below ground plant parts. And then uh, I just think it, it doesn't make sense to put more nitrogen than the grass can use. Um, so if you're not growing that much, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I, I really like the growth ratio as a way to fine tune or, or clipping volume, but the growth ratio is even better to fine tune your nitrogen and your plant growth regulator. 
I, I got one thing on, on growth regulators. Um, I can't prove this. This is a bit of anecdotal stuff, so you know, excuse me there. But okay, I well, find that... Is, yeah, this is the ADC channel, so we can we can speculate. Yeah, we can speculate here a little bit. Um, so on fescue greens with POA mixed into it, um, I find that the POA gets more regulated than the fescues, which is needed because the POAs actually grow quicker than the fescues. Um, so if you use them on fescue greens, which is sort of counterintuitive because you're growing them slower anyway, it seems to give us a little bit sort of, <clears throat> I find we have a little bit more consistency in the growth rate of mixed species in this sense. Um, so, uh, but then again, you've got, there is a variation between species on how they pick up POA and how much they regulate it. Um, for example, ryegrass, I remember we put it on once on a football pitch because we had a, a concert going on. So we had to regulate it while, while it was under the dark uh, covers. And there we saw the huge difference between rye and poa pretensis in regulation mode because uh, it was a massive difference how it came out of out of the regulation. But that's one reason why I find, you know, Primo, for example, being fine on, on fast greens when you have those poas mixed in with them. Because by the end of the day, they get quite bumpy with, due to the poa. Thank, thank you, Bjarni. So uh, let's answer Barry Britton's question. He says, do you use growth regulation during the summer season? If so, why? And how does it relate to the growth ratio? Um, maybe, Bjarni, you could... That was a little bit how I do it. Um, it's because of that. And we will then expect to see some drop in, in, in the, uh, um, the clip wall. But it's usually never much more than like 15, 20%, something like that. And Jason, you, do you use growth regulators these days? Uh, I didn't this year. Um, I was uh, on my POA bank greens. Um, I would use the GDD as a general mm -hmm. timing. Um, and I, or I would use a GDD model. I've, I've done a whole bunch of different playing around. Um, I would use a GDD model and I would vary the rates. So if uh, we got up to my reapplication interval and my growth was too low, I would lower the primo rate uh, and then still keep my standard end rate um, just to, to bump the growth, reduce the suppression. Um, and because generally the way I understand it from Bill's research is the rate determines uh, the amount of suppression, not how long it lasts. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yep, that's right. So you can you can vary those rates, uh, and then the weather is determines generally how long it lasts. But um, I didn't use it this year. I I might play around with it. Um, I didn't really want to you know try a hundred different things on a new course and a new species at once. So <laughs> yeah, I I think it it tends to in it tends to enhance turf quality. It uh, it enables you to have better performance in shade. It enables you to to have a lower effective cutting cutting height, basically. So whether you can cut the grass uh, shorter, more safely, or or whether I mean somehow you can have a lower effective cutting height. Um, so it offers some advantages, but I look at it as something that wouldn't be like the foundation of my program. I feel sometimes the some people that have used it their whole life, it's just like, uh, you know, 
oh, it's Thursday. We need to get our second PGR app of the week down before the weekend. And uh, I, I, I know people that manage like that, uh, like, you know, multiple time a week PGR apps, where it seems like that's kind of the foundation of the program. Uh, and to me, it's like, a, it's something I would add on. Um, so, so I'm going to first manage the grass with a hundred percent grass cover, make sure I've got my irrigation under control, make sure my mowers are set up as good as they could be to have really good cutting units and, and, and cutting the grass at the appropriate height with sharp mowers and then get the nitrogen rate, right. And, and look at how much the grass is growing, all of that stuff. And then if I realize I, I, I could make it even better by adding a growth regulator. That's at the point where I would add on the growth regulator. But I find mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I talk to people that don't seem to be managing that way and they're trying to do everything at once and and putting so much growth regulator. And then they ask me uh, to evaluate their fertilizer. And I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, if, if you don't know how much the grass is growing and and like – it definitely you've got stacking with those kind of primo rates. So who knows what's going on? And I'm like, like I would apply nothing like until I could figure out what was going on. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah, I, I think Barry, the, uh, the standard way is, is yes, continue using growth regulator and you can, you can, you can see how it works with the growth ratio. And, uh, Chris Tritabaugh, did that last summer he's used growth regulators for uh, a few summers now with clipping volume and uh and yeah he he gets the type of clipping volume he wants with uh with growth regulator uh which leads to another good question here uh from chris elric who's asking about uh he says, can you guys touch on your clip vault targets? Would you say that 15 milliliters is standard, 20 to 25 for recovery, maybe below 15 for competitions? And uh, so this is talking about absolute clipping volume. And this is the exact question. This is, this is so good, Chris. Thank you. This is the exact question that led to our excitement about talking about the growth ratio. And uh, who wants to take this? One? I would, I, I would, I would say that it depends on the weather. <laughs> um, what what your target clip fall should be? Um, I mean, generally we want a, a lower amount, but it depends. Like what is low? Yeah, low in August is different than low in, in May uh, or low in February. So uh, depending on your location. Um, so. Um, yeah, my standard amount is 20, and then I multiply that by the uh, potential, and then I apply, and I grow at 30% of that speed. But, um, I mean, if you if you don't want to use the growth ratio, then 10. Say 10. Don't go below 10. Uh, go below 10 for short periods of a week, but no more. And, yeah. I've now managed a number of courses um, with different sort of grass pieces and, and, and I find like if you're going running them on pure power uh, greens I always needed to keep them a bit higher to them for them to perform the way we wanted um, so our ideal growth ratio 
that growth rate was uh, in the 30s uh, for that POA to function in, in our climate. Um, then I've had fescues and relatively pure fescues, and they do really, really well in, in the sort of 10 to 15. So it's going to depend on uh, climate you're in, what you're growing, um, to find that absolute number. You can run the growth ratio a little bit. I know you, Jason, you're running, running it, but with the fixed number of 20 milliliters uh, as an ideal. And then if you're growing, trying to grow it slower than that, you go for the percentage, you know, 0 0.3 in your case, at the, where you're at at the moment. You can, of course, if you like to dial your percentage into 100%, <laughs> and then you change the 20 to the desired volume that you, you know, for your side. So you can run it that way. I actually run it that way because I like to keep, you know, tell them I want to be at the 100% mark. Um, but you need to, it's kind of hard to say exactly what it is because it, I've had fescue greens, for example, Kaleid fescue greens, I had to run in the 15, 16s. They would be great. These fescue grains I have here are lower than that, and they're fine. So it's a difference, you know, even though I'm growing in the same climate, growing the same grass, it, it, you still find a slight difference in, in what's the sweet spot. Maybe it's because these greens are very, very big. They're 1.6 hectares. The other one's at one hectare for 18. And similar traffic numbers. So, um, so it's kind of... But I would like, I think a good start is saying 20 milliliters during ideal conditions and then using uh, growth potential to figure out if it's normal for you to be in the fives or tens for the day. Does that make sense? You're yeah. such a turf grass math rebel. <laughs> yeah, you, you always you, you always preface it by like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Mike is gonna, <laughs> Mike might not like this. <laughs> no. I tend to approach things differently sometimes. I do admit. Yeah, I I would answer that, Chris, by saying, uh, it, it it sort of depends on the site and the grass and like mm. like with uh, ultra dwarf Bermuda grass, a lot of people grow it so slow that they they get numbers like uh, three milliliters four. And that, that's kind of standard for them. Um, so uh, that's it's the, where... It's the entire point of having the growth ratio. That's mm -hmm. what the growth ratio answers is this question. Mm -hmm. is yep. It, what is it? Yeah. It, and that's, that's what the growth ratio answers because I would expect uh, when Bjarni was in the Dominican Republic and their high temperatures were less than 30 degrees Celsius, the... Uh, golf course superintendents there who are growing warm season grass would probably feel that the greens are barely growing um, compared with the summer conditions when the high temperature might be 35 degrees, the low temperature might be 24 degrees and the grass might grow twice as much. And so the question is, what is your target? Well, it's just kind of normal to, uh, to adjust it. Uh, and, I mean, you, you look at the growth ratio and that automatically adjusts your expectation through the year as the temperature changes. So, um, thanks, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, let's see. Randy's got a question that I thought about once. He said, is it possible to link prism gauge measurement? So you're measuring how, how tall the leaf is above the, the mowing height for example, is it possible to link prism gauge measurement 
to clip fall somehow. Let's say we have one millimeter of growth. Is it possible to predict or calculate how many clippings we will get and then have a virtual growth ratio? Um, Randy, that's a really good question. I had like a vision one time when I was in a van down to Malaysia on a visa run. And then I stayed in this hotel in Penang, Malaysia, and I made a bunch of notes in one of my notebooks about this. And I, and then I realized I couldn't come up with an answer. And I remember sending an email to Bjarni and this was about four or it was about five years ago, Bjarni, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. probably August, 2019. And, uh, I sent an email saying, you're really good at math. Can you like visualize this? Cause I was like, I'm trying to convert between three dimensions of like how I'm like the grass, if it grows up this much, how much volume is that going to be? And we should be able to predict clipping volume from that. And we, we did have this conversation. You told me we're missing a couple things that we would need to measure. And you definitely, you need to know the density of the leaves in mm-hmm. terms of spatially, how many leaves, you can't just look at how far up it grows. You need to know also how many leaves there are per square centimeter or per square meter. And, mm-hmm. and you don't really have that looking with the prism gauge. Um, so I, I have a notebook somewhere where I have all kinds of mad notes about it because I, it's a long van ride down to Penang. <laughs> I remember it now, but I totally yeah. forgot about this conversation. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. so good, good question. I, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I thought we could do it. Um, and, and I've kind I, of I, despaired of being able to do it now. Yeah. I also find that with prism gauge, it's, 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 it's hard to be, well, I, I haven't tried your laser one to be fair, but it's hard to sometimes, it's like, how far off can you be? If you know what I mean? It's like, if you're, if you're measuring one millimeter and trying to measure it with your eye of increased growth and you know how the grass is not perfectly, it's not going to be perfect on the prism, then you could very easily be 20, 30% off, which then is quite a bit off. Well, that, that's why I'm so excited about this laser one, um, because I have, uh, I've recognized that the effective cutting height is, is quite important especially for green speed. However, I've never trusted my own eyes with a conventional prism gauge because the way that you change you, the angle that you look at it, you can change the height by 20, 30, 40, 200%. Uh, and this laser one, it's very satisfying to move that laser along the scale and then you see that plane of light either being completely in the canopy or just at the tip of the leaves or all the way completely above the leaves. Um, It's been very satisfying for me and just to realize that the angle at which I'm looking at it has no bearing now because it's completely squared up. So um, it's it's pretty cool. Um, Um, I mean, I can can rain on your guys' parade here. you you solved this you solved this a long time ago. <laughs> well, so I don't use a prism gauge. Uh, my mechanic uses a prism gauge. Uh, we use prism gauges to assess quality of cut. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, I'm managing greens for ball roll, so I use a stint meter. Uh, and I've noticed that at different times of the year, 
uh, like so we go up to in, in winter time on Poa, we were, um, I'm sorry, I'm not metric, metricified on the heights of cut. Uh, we'd go up to like 180 thousandths of an inch. Um, that was our uh, high height. And we would have green speeds 11 plus. Uh, in the summer, we'd be down to 110 and we would struggle to get 11 uh, because the growth rates were a bit higher, a lot higher. I think a lot of green speed isn't necessarily ultimately height of cut. It's like there's the turgidity of the plant, right? In the wintertime, it's not growing. It's kind of soft and, and limp. In the summer, it's growing. It's very rigid and, and upright, and it was harder to get those speeds. So I am not using a prism to dictate how I mow or manage my greens, other than is the mower getting all the grass when we cut it, or is it leaving stragglers? Um, because you want your mower to go out. When it goes out, you want it to be working the way it's supposed to be. So that's just my <laughs> um, Debbie Downer opinion on prison gauges. Well, actually, when it relates to growth I, and managing putting greens. Yeah, because yeah, I have to, we have the scanter of research plots that we have here, and we're supposed to measure growth with the prism, and it's, I find it so inaccurate. <laughs> you know, when you're trying to say how much it grew, like I said, it's so easy to go 20, 30% off. Well, I've I've owned yeah. I've owned zero prism gauges in my life uh, yeah. until this one. Uh, this is the first one uh, that I thought is like this is something I could actually use because the other ones, like Jason says, it's just something that he uses to check the quality of cut, maybe. Um, yeah. But which is fine yeah. for that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I mean, I, I would. You know, I hate to to be the curmudgeon here, but uh, I would be uh, surprised if you find something more useful, even with the laser one. It's cool. You can get the actual height. So you can, I mean, so for measuring bench height versus the height in the field, awesome. That That's a really good tool. But, but I, I'm, I'm, honestly, I don't really even care what the height is. I just care, am I getting the speeds? And do I need to lower the height or raise the height? Uh, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I. Um, I agree with I you. I, I agree with you. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I'm a scientist, and and it's interesting sometimes when I document what the green conditions are. I've never been documenting the cutting height. And then people often ask, like, well, did you check the effective cutting height? I'm like, no. I You can't measure with one of those, so I don't want to record useless information. And suddenly I feel with this, that like, here's a tool that maybe I can use for research. I'm not saying I, I'm going to use it for everyday maintenance, but for me as a researcher, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so um, definitely. I agree. I, I agree a hundred percent with that. Yeah. Um, but as a practitioner, somebody who is, my job is to have conditions I think it's next to useless other than it are my greens slow because the mower is only cutting half the grass. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, or is it tearing the leaf blade and, and is that why we have disease and, and, and crappy turf conditions, but for growth and green speed, I don't see a, a correlation at all, but sorry. Yeah. Well <laughs> that thank, thank you for sharing so openly and uh, David, down in Australia, I don't know if uh, if he's still awake down there. But David, we're getting to your uh, 
your comment here that's very good, which you're still awaiting. He says he's still awaiting the mower manufacturers to give a yield or clipping rate. And it it does seem uh, that that should be possible someday, but it hasn't come yet. I know when I first started advocating measurement of clipping volume, that was something that I started suggesting in 2013, 2014. And I remember talking with a lot of people. <laughs> All right, David. Uh, so jealous. He's, he's still awake. <laughs> um, so the, the response that people would say is, why should I dump it in a bucket? I'm waiting for them to put a, a laser beam that counts the number of clippings that go through. Or, mm-hmm. you know, how many, how many leaf blades broke through that laser beam? Or they're waiting for somebody to have a scale. Or they're waiting just for the simple innovation of putting a, a graduated scale on the mower bucket so instead of uh, on the basket so you could just like turn it sideways and it tells you how many liters there are uh i haven't seen any of those innovations happen yet um but some people uh some people say that yeah that that's what they're waiting for so um yeah i i don't know i guess it will come someday have you guys heard anything you guys went to btme um i guess with the uh with those little electric mowers they can they can sense uh, how thick the grass is that they're cutting or how much resistance there is right yeah, yeah. but i don't think they can cut <laughs> no, no they're not expressing it as clipping volume uh, but they um they, they sense the uh, resistance um i don't know how much the or accurate the correlation will be but then again never never say never <laughs> there might be a solution um, uh, saying that, I mean, I think green s'mores will always be real s'mores because of cutting height issues, but do we need them? Unless we start using like... lasers to burn the grass off. Well, yeah, that was that. Or that. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris, Chris, it's uh, like Austin Powers there. <laughs> Chris Tritabaugh said that, uh, going back to the nitrogen rate, he, he found a good place, uh, and I think by that he means that the grass quality is pretty good and the growth rate is pretty good. When the nitrogen that he applies is similar to the amount that he calculates that he harvested in clippings. Um, so, so he definitely is doing that conversion of 6% to get to the dry weight and then assuming 4% in the clippings. And, and he gets it pretty close. Um, so that's something that he's comfortable with. Um, and, and I think it is useful uh, for people to mm-hmm. to check that out. I think it's interesting. Um, I've done it at all three courses. Um, at Pender Harbor, uh, I was always getting about an 80% return on the nitrogen that I applied from the clippings. Uh, and then after a few years after I left, uh, Alan, who took over from me, he was getting over 100%. So he was... Uh, getting more than he applied. Um, mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Uh, at Sunshine Coast, I struggled to get, uh, you know, 60% uh, return. Uh, and maybe that's inefficient nitrogen apps. Maybe my uh, higher but more spaced out dose is less efficient, probably. Um, less efficient nitrogen-wise, but cost-wise, the nitrogen doesn't cost anything. It's basically free. Um, it's my time, which is cost more. Um, mm-hmm. 
uh, and the diesel in the sprayer costs more than the nitrogen I'm applying by like a big margin. Um, so we weren't very efficient there. Um, and, and then same thing this last year, not super efficient uh, as far as what we were harvesting versus what we were applying. And I think are, are these younger? My, are these younger greens? Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Less organic, so break down. Yeah, so I mean, right now where I'm at is uh, we have very low organic matter levels. In our greens. Um, we are uh, just over 10 years old at Pender Harbor. At the time, we were 30 years old, uh, and then at Sunshine Coast, the greens were about 15 years old. Yeah, so you're putting old. you're putting carbon into the soil. Um, yeah, and. And there's some nitrogen that goes with it. So I suppose that uh, age of the green, like Bjarni mentioned, is very, uh, uh, has a quite a big impact there. Mm -hmm. um, um, as we're coming up on two hours, which I will probably have to leave around, I'm just, I'm looking at these two questions here from Barry and, and then Eric's recent uh, observation. And I have thoughts on both of those. Um, I think they're super interesting. Uh, is it is it berries about uh, do you go beyond greens and apply growth ratio to fairways and T surfaces? Yes. Okay. Um, so, let's, so let's discuss that first. So I don't. So on my greens, I generally don't manage different uh, parts of a green different. But on T's, I manage my T's completely different. So I put out a like a monthly slow release uh, urea app. Uh, with to all green all the teas usually with a wedding agent, um, which I'm probably going to have to reevaluate now that Bill has his GDD model for wedding agents now. But anyways, <laughs> I put that out. I'm super excited. Um, so I, I I go out and I put that general rate. But I have tea boxes, and we do I don't know forty thousand rounds a year. I have tea boxes that get fifty rounds. They do not need as much fertilizer as the rounds that get. 25,000 rounds and all my teas are different sizes. I mean, every turf manager uh, will could probably relate, but your par three teas are always the smallest. And it's like golf architects, please work with us here. <laughs> and then our, and then our par five teas are like, you know, 3000 square foot tea with, you know, that has four divots on it uh, a month. And so anyways, I don't manage the teas the same rate. I put out a, a general just maintenance app and then I go out and I hammer the teas with traffic. And I I use my eyes. It's like uh, more fertilizer on the, for us, the silvers and the greens. And then I go out a week or two later. Are they, are they recovering or not more? But then I have other teas that are just like soft and spongy. They don't get any traffic and we don't even fertilize them. It's just like, don't. Don't grow them any faster than they are because they don't they don't need any traffic any traffic tolerance. So that's how you do that. Similar on similar in fairways. Yeah, we don't because we're not boxing off tees. Um, uh, we would have to box them to get these numbers. But to be fair, because our tees are usually there's more variation in tees than there are in greens. So there's actually an argument to measure them. So you do exactly what you're talking about to dial them in a little bit more accurately. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to grow them slow. Uh, I'm just trying to keep grass. Yeah, we, we, and yeah, exactly. organic matter isn't a. It's not a concern. Yeah. Organic matter buildup is not a concern. We are tons of divot mix on these teas. So, yeah. like, if anything, they don't have enough organic matter because uh, they're they're getting this much top dressing every year. So, uh -huh. um, that's teas. 
for me. Yeah, I don't. I mean, don't if you if you want to dial in the consistency, t to t to t, then sure, yeah, it's a good. It's a good. I, I would think it would be a good way to do it. Um, and if you are boxing off already, you might as well just check it if you like to. Yeah, um, you yeah. need you need what David suggested when the manufacturers. <laughs> Are gonna yes. are gonna do it automatically. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's. I, I don't. It doesn't seem feasible right now. I don't see the utility in it. Not at all. It's not at all. To, it's not gonna make my life easier. Nope. I mean, yeah, but if you're in an area where you're hand cutting, if you've got really high end facilities and you're trying to even everything out, um, and you're hand cutting the teeth anyways, you're boxing them off anyways. Sure. Um, uh, but sometimes, yeah, because we're not boxing off, then it's gonna, yeah, no struggle. And then, yeah, so that's, I mean, and then for fairways, I do a maintenance rate, and then I just drive around with the sprayer and I paint high traffic areas with more fertilizer. I'm just like right. driving around. This grass doesn't look very good, hit it up. So we're, yeah. I mean, it's variable rate essentially, um, mm -hmm. giving it where it needs it, and then wherever because we have. 18 hectares of fairways here. So they're big. And uh, if we grew them as fast as we required for the weakest spots, um, mm -hmm. we couldn't keep up with the mowing. So. Yeah, the problem with managing clippings of fairways, because it's such a big variation, usually in golf courses, in, in yeah. how they grow, then mowing that entire fairway might, you know, you might be on average okay, but actually you're too low, you're growing too slow in areas, and it's too hard Absolutely. to to manage it that way. So um, I think that will be. It's, it's super easy though. It's super easy to go with the sprayer with a good dose of fertilizer and just drive around the course and just, cause you're not spraying all the fairways. You're just spraying the high traffic spots or the spots yeah. where the turf needs more growth. It's, mm -hmm. it's very time efficient and um, I mean, massively cost efficient because you're, you're not growing the grass too excessively fast everywhere. You're only pushing the growth where it needs it. This is where the space laser said that David was talking about. That's going to be yes. <laughs> measuring. <laughs> he taught space lasers, right? The, yeah. <laughs> we, if we could actually measure, like instantaneously, what was going on, then that would be great. And then input yeah. that into your GPS player and then deal with it. But, um, but from a bucket, it's kind of hard from a bucket on a fairway. T, sure, but uh, yeah. We've got another interesting comment uh, that Jason mentioned. This is from Eric Johnson in the Pacific Northwest. He says, in my opinion, the growth ratio gets a little bit tricky with Poa annua creeping bankgrass mixed stand, especially with their different response to inputs during the growing season. Jason's had some experience with this. Yeah, so um, actually both of my previous courses, Penn Harbor and Sunshine Coast, uh, started with dominated POA and then was transitioning to bent grass. Uh, Pender Harbor now is, is I would say, at bent grass greens. Um, I mean, I haven't been there in a year or two, but um, it is bent grass dominated greens. Sunshine Coast is, is getting there. Um, and I noticed that with the growth ratio, there's a different speed that you need to grow the grass depending on the species. Now, POA needs the most growth in cool season from what I've seen. Now, Science might prove me wrong one day, um, but first scientists need to figure out the growth ratio. But um, <laughs> the 
it, I think you can use the growth ratio as a tool to, say, um, promote bent grass over POA. So set that growth ratio below 85%, and now you're not really growing the POA fast enough. You're growing the bent grass just fine, keeping the bent grass competitive to fill in those spots. So as a transition tool, uh, if you don't have the chemicals, which we don't or didn't in Canada, I think that's uh, something you can do. So. What what number would you guess that if you wanted to keep them static? So let's say you had fifty percent poa, fifty percent bent in your stand. What type of growth ratio would you recommend? I would say grow the grow the poa eighty, like grow in the low end of poa. So don't grow it over one uh, growth ratio. Keep it at around eighty percent, eighty to eighty five. Um, so uh, that's what I would recommend because you have to keep the POA happy. And if you start growing it too slow, the POA, it's, you know, anthracnose, uh, just will have a field day. Um, so if you have a lot of POA, don't grow it too slow, keep it on the low end, but not too, not too slow. Um, if you have a little bit of POA, then, uh, bring on the heat or bring on the, the, the pain, uh, grow it slow. And, uh, this year, I mean, we were actively encouraging, uh, anthracnose on our POA. Yeah, you, uh, uh, Grant Saunders at Hamilton Golf Club in New Zealand has a stunning time sequence of photos uh, and, a, and a nice story that, that I would like to talk with him about sometime of inheriting greens that were mostly POA. And you go there now and it's all colonial bank grass. And, uh, and that's happened by, <laughs> by growing the grass slow enough that uh, the POA disappears eventually but it's not pretty doing that transition but boy it sure is pretty going on those greens now and seeing pure colonial bent grass and you can't find a poa plant and and so um uh, i think this can be used for transition uh, and, it, and it can also be used to make sure you're not regulating it too much or not growing it too slow that you're you're putting uh or you're not starving the poa so much that uh that you're in it. If you want to keep POA, you can use the growth ratio to make sure you're growing it enough to uh, to make it a viable competitor against creeping bent grass. And and yeah, I, I guess the other thing is this is really new. So now we've figured out we've got uh, Danny in Liverpool says he's using the growth ratio. T.J. Kramer at uh, uh, Victoria uh, Olympic view in Victoria is using it. <laughs> Bjarni plays around with it a little bit. Uh, Chris Trinabal is doing it. <laughs> uh, Jason's doing it. So, so we got like, and I guess, uh, Eric, Eric's pretty familiar with it. So, so maybe we got like five to 10 people around the world that are actually, uh, intensively doing this. Right. When I was at BTME, I had, I would say, half dozen people stop me on the street. So this is just, I'm walking through town and they would run across the street. Are you Jason Haynes? I'm like, yeah, I've used the growth ratio. I think it's a great tool. <laughs> so I think it's more, uh, more, uh, a little bit more common than say six people. It might be 20 um, or 30, <laughs> but uh, also there are, there was a, um, uh, turf gas amenity company uh, that they, they actually, have a spreadsheet that they give to their customers to help them with all the weather models, and everything else. And they're using it now. So um, I was surprised to see the growth ratio uh, being used by fertilizer companies now or um, mm -hmm. turf grass consulting companies. 
so that is also starting to happen, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Well, well, good. So awesome. So we are talking about something that I think we all agree. We would not spend two hours of our time talking about this <laughs> if we didn't think that it was something that had all kinds of value. And I think that the, uh, eventually a lot more people will uh will do this because it turns out to be a, a really useful tool and i know chris chris had to leave uh he said thanks and uh but he had to leave the call but i know his nitrogen rates have gone down and down and down and he put less than a pound of nitrogen last year which i would have thought is uh is is 30 percent of what i would have thought you'd need for bent grass in minneapolis now, mm-hmm. I don't know how much he'll put this year, but I know that the conditions last year were superb and using a fraction of the nitrogen that he used before. That The reason why people can do this is because they're measuring the clipping volume and finding the grass is still growing enough. I don't need to put so much fertilizer. Then the implications, of course, are if the grass doesn't grow so much and you don't put so much nitrogen, you don't create the thatch, you don't need to do the disruption, so you have better playing surfaces for more days in the year. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's really exciting. We're excited about it. And uh, if you're watching or listening that, to this, uh, you probably <laughs> probably are too. So yeah, we're a, we're a small, happy Special. group of... of Especially on hour number two, then you must be quite dedicated. <laughs> yes, definitely. Good. Yeah. Cool. So uh, Eric says uh, that at the GCSA show, there seemed to be more interest in Clipfall. Yeah. I, I don't know how there can't be because it's just such a useful kind of tool, isn't it? Um Let's Danny see. Patton says he'd like to have more input. I would suggest joining the Discord server, that uh, the Asian Turf Guest Discord server, where there's lots of discussion going on. Um, and I tend to check on it every week or so. Um, and uh, I mean, the more people that chime in, the better, I think. And that's a really good spot for that. I think. All right. Well, um, we, we've answered, we, we got through, this is perfect timing because we talked about basically all the things that I wanted us to talk about on this call. Uh, we've answered all the questions so far and we also hit about the two hour mark, which is kind of what I was thinking was about how long we would, uh, discuss today. Uh, if there's any more questions from people, I'll stick around for a little while longer. Um, but Otherwise, we'll get ready to to say goodbye. And yeah, Danny, please join the Discord. You can find that uh, the link to that at AsianTurfGrass.com. Uh, and anything else from you, Bjarni? Do you, you you did want to argue that one unit? the thousand <laughs> let's talk about clipping volume units i started off by accident doing liters per 100 square meter yeah and then i realized i don't like 100 square meter what kind of silly unit is 100 square mm-hmm. meters in the denominator mm-hmm. and so my, yeah my 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 unit now is liter per thousand <laughs> 
Yeah. So, which which is the same number that you'll get from milliliters per square meter. Yeah. And I realized, I I realized that Bjarni seems to like the kind of units I think where he can really visualize the numerator. And I tend to like the units where I can see or mm-hmm. visualize the denominator because, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, I think that's kind of why we often have a different preference in units because yeah, yeah. I'm like gram per, squ- I, I like a square meter as a denominator, um, mm-hmm. but you prefer a hectare usually, but I, I noticed yeah, you often just- want a liter um, yeah, I, no, I, I like units where you can actually. So, for example, if I if I give you one gram of nitrogen, or if I give you two grams of nitrogen, and put it in your hand, there's no way you're gonna know the difference. If I give you ten kilograms of something and then twenty kilograms of something, everyone feels the difference. So, for like, uh, especially talking to my staff, and why, why I like the liter things instead of milliliters is we're measuring in liters. And it goes into the buckets. So if you go liter per thousand, uh, that number is going to be close, like in liters, it's going to be close to what they're actually getting into the buckets. So, for example, if you measure just one bucket bucket on a triplex mower, and let's say your green is about 400 square meters, you know, then the number liters per thousand is going to come out very similar to uh, the amount of liters in in a single bucket. If you're a, measuring a, a single form. bucket and if you measure a single bucket three. from a triplex, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you get your similar number. It's not going to be the same, but it's going to be a similarish number. So the feel for it, and when when you say milliliters to the staff, for example, they just like milliliters. Long sounds a very tiny fraction, but if you just say liters per thousand, it seems to be the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's one point something we got in the bucket, or two liters we got in. The, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, the, I I like I I kind of like that one. Uh, so maybe yeah. maybe that and it one brings has some together potential. the. The imperial, you know, because they like pounds per thousand. We need to have per thousand in the metric. <laughs> so liters per thousand, we can say that now. But it, it's just a, yeah. And it, I mean, same thing for my fertilizer. If I'm in kilograms per hectare, it's very similar to what I'm putting into the tank anyway. So kilograms per hectare. Yeah. Instead of saying grams per square meter, because gram is such a tiny unit. That's why I'm not a big fan of it. Saying that, I do like it in the scientific literature, literature that is stick to that grams per square meter because sometimes you're reading something from some other field, not necessarily turf, and I don't like it when they have their <laughs> specific units that they like to use. Yeah, I, it being just grams, and then you just can move away from that. So that's where, in scientific literature, I agree, stick to that. But for practitioners, it's quite handy to have these leaders kilograms because you're dealing with liters and kilograms yeah we should we should write something sometime about uh units uh and just kind of and make some suggestions uh yeah maybe maybe we can do that sometime because uh you you often have good insight i'm going to answer nolan's question uh nolan asks when you talk about applying parts per million of phosphorus in relation to MLSN? Is this in elemental phosphorus or P2O5? The oxide. And the answer is, I, when I say P or phosphorus, and if I'm talking about quantities, uh, you can expect that 
I'm always going to be referring to elemental unless I explicitly state otherwise. Now that's how uh, that's how Micah does it. Um, with everybody else, you you have to check, and that's a very good question, Nolan. Um, but but with me, I'm I'm always talking about elemental. Um, but sometimes for fertilizer rates, I'll I'll adjust it, but then I'll state how much PTO five one would need to apply. Can I give the lazy answer? I don't apply I don't apply phosphorus. Yes, but when I do, all I I'm just using the trend. So if if it's if I'm where I'm happy where it is and it's going down, I apply more than I did last year. And if it's going up, I apply less. Um, like the, the actual individual numbers are less important to me than the trend. Um, the individual numbers are nice to know if don't go too low uh, or if you're too high, you know, you could probably just forget about phosphorus for a few years, but um, it's just the trend lines. So, I mean, we can, again, you can do all this crazy math to determine it at all, but I think the most important thing is just trends, trend data. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then just know what you put down last year and then adjust. Do I need to put more or less? So it's, there's no math, no math. <laughs> Sorry. In an episode of maths, there's no maths. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, like, it, it, like if you can, if you can reduce the amount of math and the amount of data yeah, yeah, that you need, it's, it's totally the best. Um, I agree. It's like, try again, to simplify I, things. I, I've done that whole thing and, but like, I find as a practitioner, not again, the difference between scientist and practitioner is I'm mostly concerned with the trend data. And it wasn't until I had trend data from Micah that all of a sudden um, managing soils was just like, all of a sudden it just became easy. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, it went down. Let's do more than we did last year. Or we still got a ways to go. Let's Let's see if we can kill some poa here. <laughs> but I think that goes to show how good uh, measuring the clip ball and uh, this growth ratio thing is, is that uh, from a person who doesn't like measuring stuff, doesn't like, you know, like I say, keep it simple, you see how valuable that is, you know. So that's a data people should be doing, definitely. Would you agree with that? I think that's the... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think measuring people have this false, false sense of like, of who I am, like I use data a lot in my decision making, but like I, I'm not recording like prism readings. I'm not re- yeah, yeah. recording. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm writing down how much nutrient I apply. Uh, I'm recording clipping volume and I'm collecting stim meter. Like it's not a ton of data, um, and and then obviously weather observations to get the um, so average temperature and yeah. And then precipitation and ET and all that, but whatever. It's it's not yeah, like it's, it's not like I'm out there just like in data hell. Um, yeah. It's very pretty minimal, almost no work on my end, mm-hmm. and uh, just helps me get it right. Yeah, I, I guess we all try to do this stuff to make it easier, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you think about it, uh, and then if if it. If it does make it easier, we keep doing it. And if it doesn't make it easier, we kind of throw it away or, mm-hmm. or, or stop doing it. So, yeah. Well, Jason, that's cool. Uh, that must have been a nice feeling to walk down the street in Harrogate and have people asking if you were Jason Haynes. That's I, it was I don't a think little bit. That, that doesn't really happen to me very often. 
you know, uh, yeah. I'm well, a Donnie Yanko. Grass famous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, I think this has been long enough for this episode. Uh, we, we certainly talked through that subject and, uh, thank you guys so much for sharing your expertise and time with us. And thanks everybody who caught this live. And I know a lot of people will be listening or watching to this, watching this later. So, uh, thanks everyone for your interest in these kind of esoteric uh, turfgrass topics, but uh, something that we think is is worth our time and uh, obviously your time. So we'll change the world with all of this uh, awesome work. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, it's, it's a big impact when you have better playing conditions, less sand, yeah. less nitrogen. It's it's transformative yeah. in in, exactly. in the way one manages. So, yeah, definitely. Good. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks everybody. I'll go ahead and end this stream now. So, uh, I'll sign off for ATC from Trong Thailand. I'm Michael Woods. Bye bye. <laughs>